RadioInfluence.com. We are back for another edition of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Ford. As always, I am joined by my colleague, Daniel Calvon. It is the midweek edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Appreciate you taking time out of your day to download and listen to this episode of podcast. Or if you're watching it over on YouTube, we're trying to grow those YouTube numbers there. So if you can uh, subscribe to the channel, like, comment, we we'll definitely appreciate that. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Harry's. We're going to tell you about the great offer that Harry's has for you later on in the show as they've got a great deal for the MMA Report podcast listener where you can get their Truman Shave Trial Set for just $3. It's a $15. You get it just for $3. So we'll tell you a little bit about that later on here in the show. Daniel, it has been, once again, like as you like to always say, it's always an interesting time in mixed martial arts. Something's always happening. You know, Saturday morning, I'm sitting at one of our restaurant properties, kind of doing some things that we're gearing up for over the next couple of weeks with some marketing things. And uh, I'm just like, I'm sitting there. So I'm like, oh, let me just kind of scroll through Twitter. And then I see UFC breaking news. And I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. What? My, my first initial thought is, all right, who's out? Who's out of the UFC 284? Like that was that was my initial thought. Yeah, that that's not a bad thought. It's usually a negative. It's usually a negative. But what was the news that came across your timeline? It, it just I, it was a UFC tweet of the video where they were obviously pre uh, rolling some uh, B roll footage, and then of course Dana White comes out there and of course you know announces the Ultimate Fighter thirty one. So it was like you know, and then of course uh, Sean O'Malley has signed an eight fight deal. Sean O'Malley goes on the Pat McAfee show. I don't know if you saw this one and. He this gets brought up and he basically says, yeah, I'm fighting for the title next. We'll see if Aljo and, and Cejudo fight next. He goes, yeah, my next fight's going to be for the title. I was kind of surprised that really did get any headlines, even though I did see two different MMA websites had this headline talk about how UFC 284 trending to be uh, along the lines of a Connor pay-per-view. Yeah, they only took part of Dana's quote. They didn't take the full quote of him saying in Australia. Yeah, yeah, that's just wild. Um, look, it, we should have read the tea leaves that a Connor fight was going to get announced, right? Like, it's one of those things where if Connor McGregor gets accused of committing a crime, you better believe he's going to start his fight camp already. You know, to change the narrative, change the headlines. I mean, literally, like two weeks ago, we're talking about him being accused of drowning somebody, attempting to drown somebody, and we're just going to move on business as usual. Michael Chandler on ESPN promoting it. We have a fight. We're going to forget about it. That's the MMA world we live in, Jason. You know, we're, we're moving on to the next week of the Power Slap League. We got a big uh, pay-per-view this weekend, a super fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and uh, um... – Oh, crap. P- people, okay, all right. Our audience knows why I'm laughing about that. Because I will say this, when Dana White had that snafu, I was like, I'm going to give Dana White the benefit of the doubt. I know that there's a lot of media that's going to rush to completely crap on Dana White. And some people have motives of why they do it and whatnot. So I was like, you know what? I'm just sitting there going, how many times have we sat here on this podcast and we just have a brain fart? I'm like, maybe Dana White had a brain fart. It was late in the night in Las Vegas. Okay, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But then I'm scrolling through TikTok and I see this clip from the Pat McAfee show. He says Volkanovsky and then he looks behind him at the artwork and he still doesn't say Islam Hajjab's name, which 
I'm starting to wonder, is he not, is, does he not know how to pronounce it? And Islam talked about uh, today in an interview with MMA Junkie that he understands that a lot of Americans just don't know how to pronounce his name. So it's not as easy to pronounce it as Nermaga Madoff. But I'm like, maybe Dave just doesn't know how to say his name right. He doesn't want to come off, you know, sounding like someone who doesn't know how to say his name. Look, I don't know. And I fluctuate all the time. But give it your best effort. You're promoting this fight. He's probably your best fighter on your roster. At least he's top three along with, you know, Volkanovski for sure. And then I was going to say Adesanya, but Adesanya lost to Pereira, so that knocks him down. So, I mean, you know, what, Leon Edwards, number three, probably. But, uh, yeah, you should probably learn how to say Islam's name. I will give him the benefit of the doubt that it was a gaffe. It happens. We all have brain farts. But it's just, I don't know. His reputation precedes himself. And his reputation, Dana's reputation, doesn't do him any favors when he has a mental gap like that. Because you know the narrative around this pay-per-view is not the fact that it is a super fight between the number one, number two guy. Right now, the narrative around this pay-per-view that we have coming up is that it is not being promoted properly. That is the narrative. When Islam did that interview in Russia, then Dana White coming out saying, well, was that interview translated correctly? I'm like, oh, that's seriously where we're going here? All right, whatever. I thought Islam had a lot of great reasons of talking about why this fight was not being promoted correctly. Um, and we're going to get into to Connor Channel here in a moment. But this is a quote that was over at MMAJunkie.com uh, in an interview that Mike Baum I did with Mahachav. He says, quote, all media, when they come, they give me the same question. What do you think about the promotion? For me, I tell them, hey, I'm ready to travel around the world and promote this fight. But the UFC don't want. Two days ago, I talked with Dane on Instagram, and he said we have some plan, but I will wait for his answer. Uh, goes on the article to say, quote, for U.S. people, this is not easy. My surname he forgot. Machev is not easy for the U.S. like Namaga Madoff. I don't hear anybody say right. Everybody does some mistake. I don't care. For some, he respects all champions. I don't think bad about people. Um, you know, I mean, look, I, I think in terms of the criticism there is around UFC 284 and, and the promotion of it is like, look, the UFC is doing what they do for a pay-per-view promotion. To me, it's like rinse and repeat. Every Sunday, you're going to see those countdown clips, uh, you know, come out on, on the YouTube channel and throughout the week, you're going to get the embedded and, and things along those lines. But I thought he had some legit criticism. And I want to say I was listening on Morning Combat um, last week and they talked about this like to me if you're a UFC fighter on 284 you've had to look at that UFC social media the last two weeks and go what do they care about more promoting 284 or promoting slap fighting yeah life is about opportunity cost we have 24 hours in every day and every second you spend doing something is a second you spend not doing something else the UFC, Dana White, they've spent a lot of time over the past month promoting Power Slap. A lot of time. And every second, and every clip, every interview that they've spent on Power Slap could have been spent on the UFC pay-per-view, on the fights, promoting the fighters. It makes sense for the UFC. Power Slap is another opportunity to create content and pay people not that much for your content. 
And that's kind of what Endeavor and the UFC has become is just a content creation company that tries to pay its employees as little as possible. PowerSlap provides a great opportunity for that. And that's kind of what I was thinking this week when I read this narrative. And when I also saw the Bellator show and I saw all the legends in the octagon behind Fedor and it really struck me. And I've seen this thought on Twitter. I know Dave Meltzer has had this thought, um, but it really struck me that there really hasn't been that many moments in my lifetime where I've really been able to reflect and been nostalgic about the MA fighters that I grew up on. And it was really stark to see Mark Coleman and Hoist Gracie and Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture and Frank Shamrock and all the legends, Matt Hughes in the cage. And I felt like the UFC has really dropped the ball on that. And I think the biggest problem for the UFC is they have sold their soul for the bottom line. And that problem extends to so many different issues we talk about each and every week. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this when, you know, uh, when Bellator sent that press release out after the fights were over. And, and so what they do to the media is they, they send the, the photos to the media for the media to be able to use for editorial purposes. And, and, you know, I saw that photo and you get kind of nostalgia about the sport. It made me think of like, I'm a USC fight pass subscriber, but like, I would say I use Fight Pass more for the fight library than anything else. You know, I rarely go on there and watch a regional show live. It's usually after the fact that, you know, say if I'm going to interview somebody that was on a, a, a regional show that was on Fight Pass, I go back and, and watch it. It, it kind of made me think about like, and I know you've brought this point up here on, on the podcast of, you know, when we get to these weeks where we don't have a UFC event of maybe like sitting there and having a career retrospect on one of those legends that was sitting there, you know, like I think about like when I really started becoming a fan of MMA was really the, the heyday of Chuck Liddell. And I think unfortunately for the newer mixed martial arts fan, they don't have the memory of Chuck Liddell that I think that me and you have of Chuck Liddell of thinking about when he was the Conor McGregor of this sport. You know, I've talked about this story multiple times and it's one of these, like there's these moments as a combat sports fan that I think you never forget, like for someone that's around my age range, just as you wouldn't have this because of, of you being younger to me, but I remember watching Buster Douglas knock out Mike Tyson. That's one of those moments in sports. You just don't forget about. And for me in MMA, one of the moments I don't forget about, one of them would be Conor McGregor knocking out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. But going back even further beyond that is being at a sports bar when Rampage Jackson knocked out Chuck Liddell, which really became the start of the end of Chuck Liddell, you know, as a mainstream, as a main event fighter. And when he got knocked out, you could have heard a pin drop in this place because that was the height of Chuck Liddell. And that's why, like, for this weekend, I kind of want to go out to watch UFC 284. Like we're not going to have the UFC pay-per-view at, at our properties, but one of the, the sports bar that I go to on Friday nights, they're going to have it on Saturday. So like I'm tempted. I think I want to go out and watch UFC 284 to really see what is the reaction to Islam Macha versus Alexander Volkanovsky. Is there truly an intrigue with the casual sports fans of this matchup when you're talking about what most people consider the number one and number two pound-for-pound pound fighters in mixed martial arts. Well, I think it's certainly going to be a lot different than the anticipation that I felt whenever George St. Pierre took on BJ Penn for, I believe, the second time 
I believe it was UFC 94. Could be wrong on that. But um, that felt like a Super Bowl type event. Uh, this one doesn't. I mean, the Super Bowl is literally happening the day after. These guys deserve their ranking as one and two. But I think because Islam has just barely become the champion, he doesn't have that like reign of multiple championship defenses that makes this fight seem epic. Um, and obviously him and Volk are just m- not as big as BJ and GSP were to the casual fans. Although Volkanovski is someone who's a really good post-fight interviewer and he can get anyone on his side with a good post-fight interview. Um, so I look, I, I think a lot of people are going to be excited. The, uh, the main card is pretty good. The rest of the fights, I'm not really excited for, to be honest with you. But those top two fights are awesome. Jack Della Madalana is an awesome fighter. Um, and the great thing about this is you have Volkanovski going into a fight as a freaking underdog, as a big underdog. Mm-hmm. He's the number two ranked fighter on the planet, and he's a big underdog against a guy who doesn't have a championship defense under his belt. That's exciting stuff, my man. Yeah, you know, so on Fridays, myself and Pete Rogers Jr., we do our DFS show. And last night, or maybe the night before, I went over the DraftKings. I started looking at the salaries. I really had not even looked at the betting odds for the most part for this fight card. And then when I saw that, you know, how big of you know discrepancy there was in the salaries for Islam and and Volk, I was like, hold on, man. And then I go over, I look at the betting odds. I'm like, holy cow, man. This is to me. And we'll get more into this a little bit later on the show. But to me, this fight is much closer than those betting odds uh, do indicate there. But, you know, it's like, look, I'm not here. I think Brandon uh, Fitzgerald is one of the great play-by-play guys that we have in our industry. But he had this tweet um, last week where he says, can't believe the NFL. Huge game next week, and they're not even promoting it. Seems like they're going to wait until the players and media are all there next week. Imagine the nerve. Another tweet goes on to say, oh, man, got some haters on this one. And I'm like, Bryn, man, I I get that you collect a paycheck, whether Bryn's an employee of the UFC or whether he's an independent contractor. I'm guessing he's probably an independent contractor for the UFC. But I'm like, bro, there's going to be over 100 plus million people watching the Super Bowl on Sunday. The NFL does not have to promote the Super Bowl. you got to promote mixed martial arts. And that's why what it kind of is leaning me more towards going out on Saturday night to watch the fights because like I think and I've talked about this before is I think sometimes a lot of us in this MMA bubble we get kind of stuck in this part of seeing what we see on Twitter and seeing the analytics that we see in terms of who's clicking on videos and and, and links along those ways but I'm like sitting there like that's why like I want to go see what is a casual sports fan what is their take of UFC 284 on Saturday night in, in a sports bar environment. I don't, I don't know, but I do know that the casual sports fan probably isn't spending that much time thinking about this fight this week. This week is filled with Super Bowl talk all the way down. Mm-hmm. UFC still gets some mention. I saw Michael Chandler in studio promoting his season of the Ultimate Fighter in May with Connor. I saw that today. So they still get some segments in, but on sports talk, the casual sports fan is thinking about the Super Bowl, and they're talking about LeBron James, who just broke Kareem's record. Not a lot of Mahachev Volk uh, talk. A lot of people are going to spend a lot of money on Sunday to get together and drink a lot of beer and eat a lot of chicken wings. Saturday for the casual sports fan is probably the day where they act like a normal family member. 
if they have a kid, they go do a thing for the kid. Um, if you know, if you're a man who's a sports fan, you do, and you're in a relationship with a woman, you do it with, you know, do a nice dinner with the woman, vice versa. You know, if you're a guy, and you know, you're dating another guy, and one guy doesn't like sports, you hang out with him. Whatever. Sunday is the day we're watching sports. Is what I'm saying. Not Saturday. That's my whole point. Anyways, that that's my whole point is that there's not a lot of oxygen in the room for this UFC pay per view. And the my second point is, uh, I'm not gonna you know make fun of Brandon Fitzgerald for a tweet because I think too often like we just like poke at people whenever they have a, like a dumb tweet and be like, oh, you're the worst ever. Nah, he's he's an awesome commentator. But like, bro, don't like make me feel like I'm crazy. Okay, I've been a mixed martial arts fan for a very long time, and I remember what it feels like to get hyped up for a pay per view. And I know for a fact that UFC has done a very bad job of promoting this pay per view. I, I I feel like I like it, I don't get the buzz for this yeah. pay-per-view this Saturday. And I know what it's like to get the buzz. And this is a really effing good fight. And, dude, the crowd is going to be bananas, as Gorilla Monsoon would say, in Australia. Point blank, UFC's done a bad job promoting this fight. It's a feel thing. It is. Yeah. And, and, yes, a lot more people know about Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts and Islam Mahachev and Alexander Volkanovsky. I'll give you a funny story. So typically I watch the Super Bowl home with my wife. And so a couple of years ago, and usually what for us, I'm sure everyone's got kind of their own traditions of what you do in the Super Bowl. Usually for us, we'll, we'll go get takeout from some food, you know, past couple of years, we've gone to Outback Steakhouse and just gotten takeout and brought it home. And so a couple of years ago, and I, I looked at her, we're watching the game and I, I looked at her, I go, I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not watching the Super Bowl with you next year. And she gives me this look of like, all right, F you then. And then I looked there and go, think about it. I go, if I'm not here watching the game with you, I'm working the game. She goes, oh, you're right. Okay. Take away that dirty look I just gave you. Yeah, she's on about that that payday. She's like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, look at you, slide dog. I mean, yeah, I feel like for you, that's the day of the year you don't want to be with your family. You want to be with your coworkers, Jason. I know you want to be with your coworkers every Super Bowl, uh, but uh, I hate yeah. to break the news to you, but uh, this Sunday you're going to be free. I am going to be free. Uh, yeah, actually, yesterday was the two-year anniversary of the Bucks winning the Super Bowl here in Tampa, and uh, definitely in terms in terms of what I've done professionally, probably probably the, the you know most memorable day of my of my career in terms of that of and everything that happened that week. But yeah, it's uh, everyone's going to be watching the Super Bowl. Um, but let, let's get back to the whole Chandler and Connor. Coaching the Alton Fire, Dana White announces it. You know, really, it, it seemed like the the topic of conversation initially was, "Oh, Connor's not. You saw a drug testing pool." I'm like, "Really? That that's our?" I'm like, "Look, clearly he's going to get back in at some point. They're going to do this fight." Uh, Cole Shelton, who I believe writes for PJPen.com, uh, maybe he works on another side as well. Uh, he tweeted earlier today, said, been told by multiple sources that the Ultimate Fire 31 will see half the contestants being UFC veterans who have been cut with the other half being prospects. Theme is vets versus prospects with McGregor and Chandler as coaches. Uh, Dana White revealed uh, during the, uh, I'm not sure if it was during, I want to say it was maybe during the post-fight press conference, that uh, both Chandler and McGregor are slated to be in Las Vegas on Monday. Michael Chandler is actually working the the UFC 284 studio broadcast, so he'll be there. And uh, I was listening to a little bit of Chandler on Ariel's show 
earlier in the week, and he, you know, he kind of talked about it. He's still kind of putting together his coaching staff. But, uh, I mean, look, I haven't watched the Ultimate Fighter in a really long time. I, I don't mind the, the theme of vets versus prospects. I like that idea. I mean, I mean, look, this is going to be, as someone who's seen Michael Chandler grow from you know his pro debut in Strike Force to where he's at now, I'm happy to see this guy get the biggest payday of his life. He deserves it. He's worked his butt off. He's given us great fights, and this is a fight he's probably going to win. You know, hopefully Connor makes it to fight night. It's a great fight too. It really is a great stylistic matchup, and I'm very excited for it. Um, am I excited for this season, The Ultimate Fighter? Uh, hell no. But um, I mean, dude, they should just do The Ultimate Fighter, but just with current UFC guys. Like, what's the difference between that and uh, UFC Vegas '68? I mean, both fights are happening in the apex. Both fights have dead crowds. Like, like, bro, like, I feel so bad for, like, this dude, these people that fight and they have this amazing knockout that should be a moment they'll never forget in their lives because if they had got that knockout in 2005, it would have been in front of thousands of fans and the people would have gone crazy and then it just would have felt like the second best thing to sex. But now you get this highlight reel knockout and just it's just – there's no noise and you're just like oh damn that's mixed martial arts now and we're just going to get more of that so they might as well just do an ultimate fighter with the uh eighth ranked like starting with number eight going through however like eight through 26 and just have those people on the ultimate fighter and the winner gets a championship fight because it's the same thing as a fight night have you looked at the fight night car on february the 18th no so look is that is that Blashfield and Santos? Yes. So we can talk. Like I love how if I don't watch a UFC event live, that the next morning I can just go on to ESPN.com, go go into ESPN Plus, and I can just sit there and watch fight by fight. It's it's an amazing. But one of the things that the UFC has, and, and I I hear they're going to get away from this, but it doesn't seem like they're in a rush to get away from this, is all these cards at the UFC Apex. If you look at that February 18th card, Thalia Santos, Aaron Blanchfield, great fight. Huge fight at 125 pounds. You could probably make the case, you know, could could be a number one contender fight between these two girls. Your co-main event, Zach Paga, who's coming off the Alton Fighter versus Jordan Wright. So, yeah, they don't need to sell tickets. William Knight versus Marcin Pracniao. Josh Parisen versus Jamal Porges. And just go on down, down. I mean, it, it's the co-main event should be like, if you want name value, why not OSP versus Philippe Leans? At least people kind of have an idea who these guys are. But like when I saw that fight card the other day, I was like, holy crap. Why am I sit? Why would I sit home on a Saturday night instead of maybe going out with my wife or going out with friends? I actually have a birthday party that night to go to. So I wouldn't be watching anyway. But like, I look at that card. I'm like, holy crap. Like, Damn, that that just, I mean, watch the car go out and deliver. But like in terms of oh, name yeah. value, if that that doesn't scream sit home on a Saturday night. The UFC has basically gotten the Ultimate Fighter and just rebranded it in several different ways. They've rebranded it as Dana White Contender Series, and they've rebranded it as eighty percent of these fight night cars in the Apex because these are Ultimate Fighter quality fights, and they could be entertaining. Because that's what happens when you put two people in a cage and you say fight. It might be really effing entertaining. But 
the Apex cards suck for two reasons. One, it allows the UFC to coast with the fights they put on because they don't have any pressure to sell tickets. Two, the atmosphere is more dead than the Houston Rockets' chances of winning the NBA championship. It's it's absolutely dead. It's comatose. You get more enthusiasm in a morgue. It's It, it, it just feels awful. Uh, the only thing that made me feel good inside was Michael Bisping's jolly attitude. He was a really good commentator at UFC Vegas 68. And shout out to Laura Senko and John Gooden. Uh, it was a nice little – it was a really weird card where it felt like it was international. Um you know, with all the fights from the uh, the Road FC show, John Gooden and Michael Bisping were on the call along with Laura Senko, and it was on in the middle of the night. I uh, that it felt like an international deal. But um, moral of the story is, Jason, I'm tired of fights in the Apex. I would probably watch the Ultimate Fighter if the fights didn't happen in the Apex. If they happened in the desert, if they happened, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where they would. Ha- but yeah, somewhere else. I'm I'm tired of the Apex. No, no, I, look, I get you. I mean, that was, you know, on Saturday night, watching that Bellator event live in front of, a, you know, fans in, in L.A. there. And then you turn on that UFC car, which I turned on the UFC car for about five minutes. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to bed. I've been up all day. Speaking of Connor and Chandler, I was actually kind of surprised by the bet, the opening betting odds on this one. Looking over at Best Fight Odds, DraftKings has it minus 110 on each side. Caesars, minus 115 for Connor, minus 105 for Chandler. And FanDuel has it both at minus 108. And I've, I've seen people talk about this of like, who would you pick to win this fight right now? And it's one of those things of like, okay, if Chandler goes to his wrestling roots, you would you kind of see a clear path. And then I'm also thinking like, if I'm Michael Chandler, you got to test out that leg early on in the fight. Like, you, you got to throw a leg kick at him. Like, oh, if yeah. you told me I got to make a bet one way or the other right now, I think I still go Connor because I think Michael Chandler will engage in a brawl. Yeah, I, I, uh, Connor stand up is deadly. It really is. But I just, uh, I would go with Chandler because he's more locked in. He hasn't had to deal with the, rehabilitation process that Connor has had to go through following the injury in his fight against Dustin. Um, Chandler's been way more locked in. He's had way more appearances lately where I feel better about his skills. You know, Connor looked really good against Cowboy Cerrone, but Cowboy was about eight years past his prime. I think uh, at the end of the day, Connor's powers is nothing to snuff at. That's why this fight is even. Because Connor on the feet is super dangerous, and there's a high likelihood Michael's going to want to keep it on the feet for a little bit. And that could end up with him getting knocked out. But I would still put my money on Michael Chandler to win this fight. He's just more focused on his mixed martial arts career. He's not out here getting accused of crimes left and right. He's out here training. There's a reason why he's in the studio right now and not Connor. And, uh... Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess Connor wouldn't do it if he if he was asked to because he's making boatloads of money. But still, <laughs> Michael Chandler would do it at a very much lower rate than Connor McGregor yeah. would. <laughs> yeah, but you're you're right about that. You're right about that. That is that that defeats my point. But regardless, I I just feel like Chandler has done more preparation mm-hmm. in the past year than Connor has. 
Well, the UFC hasn't said the weight class, but it's being reported that it's going to be 170 pounds. And even Chandler said that he likes to be in a 170 because you know he's like, hey, I don't got to cut weight. So how how you know the question I would love to know, like if we were in front of Conor McGregor right now and he stepped on a scale, it would be fascinating to know how much does he weigh. Yeah, he's looked really big in some pictures. And really, any number wouldn't surprise me. That's how big he's looked. If, if you told me he was 210, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, he's he's been on that Patty Pimblet situation. But he's put on muscle, I will say. A lot more muscle than Patty does when Patty's mid-fight. Uh, but, I mean, hey, you know, I guess he hasn't had a test for anything. Um, so that's good for him. You know, it makes that's... You think. It's interesting you bring that point up because I was listening to Chris Weidman's interview when he was on with Ariel the other day, and he talked about that. He stayed in the USADA drug testing program the whole time that he was recovering from his um, you know, broken leg injury. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, I wonder, was there ever any medication that a doctor wanted to prescribe Chris Weidman when he is recovering from that leg injury that may have had something on the banned list, so he then couldn't take that medication. That that was just when I was listening to him talk about it, that was like the first thought that came to my mind. It's possible because steroids are a big part of the healing process for everyday Americans. Oh yeah, and it's it's certainly possible, and it, and it makes sense why you would take yourself out of the testing pool. To be frank with you, but for Connor, another one of those guys doesn't really have the benefit of the doubt, and again, he looks a lot more muscular. It just looks pretty apparent as to what happened. The thing is, if you're a professional fighter at the highest level and you know you're going to be out for a long time, why not take steroids? Why not improve your body? Right? You know, he has zero motivation to not take steroids aside from the fact that morally or ethically it's incredibly wrong to some people. But his body is his business. He has this time away. He has all the motivation in the world to to do this. Uh, But I just hope that he that the testing pool like situation works itself out. That you know it's about time for him to get back in there. It'll be intriguing to see when they they do have this matchup. The Ultimate Fire season on television is going to run. I want to say August 15th is going to be the last episode that airs. I want to say it's going to debut Memorial Day weekend. So, well, you know, we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, you mentioned about last weekend, takeaways from last weekend. Um, you know, once again, I kind of talked about this a little bit on Sunday, but uh, unfortunately, it's a another sad ending for a legend of the sport. And unfortunately, martial arts is, is cruel. When someone wants to walk away and within about 10 seconds, that fight starting, I kind of realized it was over. Like it it was, I was like, Oh my God, he's, he's every time Bader faints, he's reacting to it. I'm like, this is the first fight all over again. And the time had come, but I think you also have to give Fedor a lot of kudos for, he didn't want the canned opponent. He wanted someone that, he wanted to fight. He wanted a legit talent to go up there against. And, uh, but man, it just, it just another example of how, uh, retirements do not, uh, go well for fighters. You know, I can't believe Fedor is the third ranked heavyweight in Bellator. Holy, holy crap. He looks bad. He looks bad. Jason. He's, he's supposed to be your third ranked dude. <laughs> Let, oh my God. 
I'll bring up a tweet I got this morning, and I'll I'll get your take on it. Um, yeah. And this sort of comes from at uh, Bucky underscore Sanders, and so he has the picture of the new top ten heavyweight rankings in Bellator. So uh, one Moldovsky, two Vassell, three Czech, four Mowry, five Fortune, six Johnson, seven Golm, eight James, nine um, Gokhan, and ten Fedor. And his comment was, he goes, at Jason underscore Floyd, I know you said heavyweights is hard to find. Man, this division is bad. You know it's bad when Czech Congo is number three. I would sign Francis, Fabricio Verdum, and Alistair Overing right now and scout all over for heavyweights. And my response to him was, if I was Coker and Bellator talent management, I would go all in for Francis, but would pass on Verdum and Overing. Would much rather acquire heavyweight prospects than signing a 45 and 42 year old heavyweight. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that idea. I think you want people like Steve Mowry and even um, Ali Isayev, who they had a close fight, those two heavyweights, although Mowry had one really dominant round. <laughs> okay, Herb Dean, did he want to see Isayev die in the cage? Yeah, and then after the fight's over, the commission has to get in between two of Asayev's coaches. And I, I never saw, saw I never saw if someone found out exactly if that was related to maybe one of the coaches wanted to stop the fight. But I'll say this. Herb Dean, there was a point where a lot of people were questioning Herb Dean in quick stoppages. It seems like that has affected his ability of whether or not to call a fight because that fight should have been stopped. What more did you want Steve Mowry to do? Like, if you're Steve Mowry, you got to look up and go, hey, Herb, what's it going to take, bro? Does he literally have to be unconscious? But the damn thing ended in a draw, bro. Sammy, it, it, look, it, it, it was a draw. It was a draw. No question about it. I thought the second round <laughs> started to become a borderline. Is this a 10-7 round? It was Dude, clearly, that would be crazy. <laughs> it was clearly a 10-8. 10-8. No question about it. There was an awful score earlier the very first fight of the night. And I tweeted along the lines of, I was like, uh-oh. If this is a sign of what's to come, we're in for a long night. I thought Darren Caldwell run, won 29-28. All three judges scored the fight 29-28 for his opponent. I thought Darren Caldwell won the first and second round. He clearly lost the third round, but, uh, and, and Darren Caldwell now at 35 years old, uh, he's dropped, I want to say three in a row at this point, probably I would imagine may not get another opportunity in, in the UFC. But like when I think about takeaways, one of my takeaways would be that heavyweight matchup and Herb Dean, you know, not stopping that fight in the second round. The other one would be the judging in the Caldwell fight. Yeah. I think, uh, when I look at, when I look at this card, uh, my takeaways are one, Johnny Ebler is effing good. He out-wrestled the hell out of Tokov. Grueling fight. It wasn't a star-making performance in that a casual fan didn't watch that broadcast and then immediately had opinions about Johnny Eblen moving forward. The fight wasn't that entertaining. But it was important to get a guy like that on a national platform because Johnny Eblen is now one of the two or three most talented guys on this Bellator roster. And he performed like that against Tokov. The other thought was, man, that Larkin knockout was highlight real worthy. And I saw you tweeted, like, they got to figure out how to get this on the broadcast. And I don't know if they did or did it because I wasn't nope. watching it live. 
Okay, I just watched the main event live and the last three rounds of the Tokov fight live. But that was that was an awesome fight. And then Ward and Homasi, um, you know, lived up. It was back and forth. Brandon Ward is really, really rearing into form. He's becoming more mature, but still being aggressive. And uh, he's he's an exciting fighter. I thought it was a pretty good card. I didn't watch some of the post limbs. I didn't see Bates and Lugo. I kind of wish I had made some time out for that. Uh, Diana F. Saragova versus Alejandro Lara. That was a close fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of weird that Diana's in the in the rankings after she missed weight. But, uh, yeah, so those are kind of my thoughts of the guard. So you mentioned about Johnny Eblen, and I tweeted about this after the fact. Is I, you know, I went over the fight matrix, and I looked at the middleweight rankings. And to me, the question is, is Johnny Eblen top three? I think clearly he's top five. So here's the fight metrics middleweight rankings. Number one, Alex Bahia. Number two, Izzy. Three, Whitaker. Four, Cannoneer. I Number five may surprise you a little bit. This fighter has two wins in the UFC at 185 pounds. Hamzat Chemaev. Look, I would pick Hamzat to beat Eblin. I really would. He's so talented. Look, look, Chemaev's resume at middleweight is not top five. Talent-wise, okay, I, I can I can make that case. But re- his two UFC middleweight wins are John Phillips and Gerald Mershart. Yeah. To me, if I was going to rank them, I'd probably put Edwin at number four behind Pahea, Izzy, Whitaker. Now, if you told me that Johnny Eblen was fighting Alex Bahia tomorrow. We all know that Alex has the advantage on the feet. But to me, Johnny Eblen's a well-rounded fighter. I would have no problems if someone picked Johnny Eblen to beat Alex Bahia at this point. I, th- well, I think um, as good as Eblen is on the feet, the gap between their wrestling and their stand-up is probably the exact same. Yeah. So it's just a matter of does Eblen go lights out or does he put Pereira on the mat? I think what we're getting at is Johnny Eblen today may not have the qualifications, but he may not be far away from being considered the best middleweight on the planet. He needs to continue to piece together wins. The victories over Musasi and Tokov, that goes a long way at 185. Now, I would say Eblen has three quality wins at 185 to go along with the win over John Salter. This is just the beginning of his legacy. He is an incredibly well-rounded and young fighter. And I think he has a real shot to be the best middleweight in the world. Today, I would pick Whitaker. I'd pick Aiden Sanya to beat him. But Jerry Cannonier, that's eh, a fight I'd probably take Eblin in. Yeah, I mean, look, Johnny Eblin is unbelievably talented. Interesting to kind of see. I would imagine his next title defense will be against the winner of Gegard Mousasi and Fabian Edwards. That matchup is going to take place. I want to say it's in May, that fight is. So I would imagine that he's going to get the winner of that one. Now, Daniel, before we kind of move into UFC 284, do want to let you know about our sponsor this week, and that is Harry's. Harry's was founded to make shaving easy, affordable, and hopefully more enjoyable. I will tell you that Harry sent me over a package. This package was unbelievable. Came in this great bag and two razors in it, gay shaving gel, shaving cream, body wash. So much was in this set they gave me. It's 
absolutely amazing. These razors are amazing. So when you're looking to kind of start that new year off, because look, we all want to feel good. And, and for me as a guy, part of feeling good is having that clean shaven face. Yeah, man. Uh, and the deal we got is going to be unbelievable if you, if you stay tuned. And uh, just, just let you all know what the deal was, Jason. Check this out. The Truman Shave Trial has a $15 value. For $3, Jason, they could get in their hands. Harrys.com slash MMA report. Dude, $3? Are you kidding me? $3? Listen, when you – before I record this podcast, I tried Harry's, and I feel amazing. I feel smooth. I didn't cut myself. You talk about the packaging. If you're watching the video, I have it here in front of you. It's so amazing. And then you just open the thing, and inside the little beautiful bag is you have a box with your razor here. The razor is magnificent. You got your amazing shaving cream, and yeah, I uh, oh my gosh, I can't handle this camera at all. <laughs> um, more of the story is, I, I was shaving for about twenty five minutes. That's I was having a good time. I was having a good time putting on that cream. But anyways, uh, don't waste any more time comparing brands. Harry's is the best. I can vouch for it. It's the best shaving experience I've ever had. It has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry. And they put their money where their mouth is. I respect it because they're offering a no-risk trial. That $3 trial, it's no risk. That means you don't like your shave. Don't worry. It's on Harry's. And no matter how your new you is, look sharp all year long with Harry's. Get a $15 Truman Shave trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash MMA report. That's harrys.com slash MMA report for a $3 trial set. And when you go to that URL that lets Harry's know that you heard about here on the MMA report podcast and well, that helps us out a ton. So we really would appreciate take advantage of this $3 trial set. It's absolutely amazing product that Harry's has for the MMA report podcast listener. Now, Daniel, you know, I'm hoping that you can bring some knowledge to this podcast. Like our guy, Yudik, so, um, Sadiq Youssef brings on his YouTube channel. Josh Kalabo versus Melsic Bakdasarian. Let's count it out. White man with eight consonants in his last name. He is not losing. Definitely not to a non-white guy named Josh. Dude, I heard that clip. I was like, oh, I, I, I was laughing so hard. Yeah, that's hilarious. And it's the, the thing is, it's effing true. It's effing true. You got a man with that many consonants in his name. Well, chances are he's probably going to kick some butt. I, I love it. I didn't know Sadiq Yusuf had like a, was that a YouTube channel? Yeah, so he started like two weeks ago, and it is just, it's hilarious. The video, I think this week's video is like three, three and a half minutes, four minutes long. So it does not take you long to get through it, but like I, I heard that clip. I was like, oh my God, got to play that here on the podcast. You know, talking about being over at YouTube, I was uh, watching the first episode of Embedded, and Javier Mendez, of course, one of the coaches there, Islam Mahachev, he had something very interesting to say on Embedded. You know, the thing about Islam Makachev is he's well-rounded. He's the most well-rounded lightweight champion of all time. That's the beauty about having someone like Islam. We can fight any way we want. It's a pleasure to have that where you can actually go out there and make a change right as you're walking out to the cage. That's what Habib and I did on, on one of our fights in Las Vegas. So that's how good Islam Makachev is. We can actually change plans at a turn of a dime. No problem. Daniel, that's a very 
interesting proclamation by Javier Mendez calling Islam the most well-rounded UFC lightweight champion in history. It is interesting. He's a man with experience. Obviously, Nurmagomedov and Cain Velasquez are two guys he's coached among other champions throughout the years in AKA. Habib has never been known as a striker. Islam's stand-up has gotten much more kudos. Very interesting statement. I guess the question is, is Alexander Volkanovsky the most well-rounded featherweight champion of all time? I was thinking about this earlier this week because I think for the most part, nearly everyone would say the GOAT at 145 pounds is Jose Aldo. Now, there may be some people who might say Max Holloway with Ron Holloway add on, but Volkanovsky's right there. I mean, Volkanovsky is, I mean, at that point. But when you look at the lightweight champion history, kind of taking what Javier Mendez said there. So here's your UFC lightweight champion history. Jens Pulver, Sean Shirk, BJ Penn, Frankie Edgar, Benson Henderson, Anthony Pettis, Rafael Dos Anjos, Eddie Alvarez, Conor McGregor, Tony Ferguson, Habib Nurmagomedov, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, and Islam Mahachev. Now, some of those fighters I did mention were interim champions. They weren't the, the unified champion. When you start going through that list, Javier Mendez may not be wrong. Yeah, the one guy I would say has has um has a has a case against Islam is BJ Penn. During his time, BJ was a pretty feared, you know, he had good hands. Obviously was slick on the ground. But Islam's wrestling is so much better. And honestly his stand up is better too. So yeah, and then a lot of the more modern guys are very well rounded. But you can do some MA math and be like, well, Islam's better than them. That's just kind of how the, excuse me, the sport goes. It evolves. It gets better. And that's why Mahachev is such a heavy favorite in a fight against Volkanovsky, who's widely considered to be the second best fighter on the planet and is making a case for Aldo for the best featherweight of all time. Looking at the tail of the tape on this one, and it kind of struck me a little bit because I think one of the things I'm intrigued with this week is I want to see what are these two guys look like during the ceremonial weigh-in to see how big of a size difference we see between these two guys, a Volk coming up to 155 pounds, and of course Islam as, as weight class of 155. But as I was looking at the tail of the tape here, Alexander Volkanovsky is five foot six. Islam Mahachev is five foot ten. You don't see this too often. The fighter who is four inches shorter has a one inch reach advantage. Wow. That is crazy. You never know with people. I mean, it reminds me of that poor dude on the UFC card that just happened this week. The reaches are random, but this poor guy, I want to say his name is Jesus Aguilar. He's the guy who lost to that Japanese flyweight that I'm high on, Tyra. Correct, yes. But um, he has the shortest reach in the hist- in the history of the UFC. I didn't fact check if that also included women fighters or not, but poor dude. Anyways, reach is random sometimes. And the idea that the reach is in Volk's favor is not something I really thought about. Straight up on the feet, I favor Volkanovski over Mahachev in this fight. 
I love Volk's stand-up, and it continues to impress from championship fight to championship fight. Jason, I'll be honest with you. I am leaning towards Volkanovski in this fight. To me, the ultimate question is, can Volkanovski keep the fight on the feet? When you look at the fighters that have been able to take him down, Brian Ortega took him down two times. Chad Mendez took him down three times. Darren Elkins took him down one time. Shane Young, all the way back in 2017, took him down one time. And Kasua, his UFC debut, took him down once. If you tell me this fight hits round three, the more I do like the chances of Alexander Volkanovsky. Now, look, I think this fight is closer than the betting odds. You know, Mahachev is over a four to one betting favorite in this one. But to me, the ultimate key for Alexander Volkanovsky is dragging this fight into the later rounds and keeping this fight on the feet. If you tell me this is a primary striking matchup, I give Alexander Volkanovsky a great chance of going out there. But if he can't stop the takedown, I just don't see how he wins this fight. Yeah. Yeah, on his back? No, sir. You know, maybe to get back up from his back and get back on the feet and continue to make it stand up. But by and large, I, I think Maha's just going to be able to just lay down, control him on his back, utilize his size advantage, along with his incredible skills. Volk is a great defensive fighter, especially on the ground. It's, this is a very interesting fight. It really is. And it might be one of the most interesting fights Islam has as champion. And it's right off the gate. What I like about Volkanovsky is his game planning and the way he approaches each fight. And he continues to elevate his game. The fluid nature of his stand-up is so impressive. And I just came away after his last two fights thinking, I'm never going to pick against this guy again. But now he's got one hell of an opponent in Mahachev. And even though we both favor Alex, it's worth mentioning, Mahachev has the credentials where he might very well win this fight on the feet too. As you were kind of talking, I was thinking about if you're Volkanovsky, obviously you're going to be doing whatever you can to stop the takedown. And maybe your hands are a little bit lower than they normally would be. Could be that opens things up. But I mean, look, it's a this when we look at the UFC main events over the next couple of months. This to me is the main event that intrigues me the most just because of, you know, the the talent ability of both these guys. Mahachev is my pick to win this matchup, but I do understand if Volkanovski is able to survive those first 10 minutes, because I think that's where he's going to have to really survive the the, the intense grappling of Islam Mahachev. I think he's got a good opportunity, but I'll say this about this pay-per-view. It's got a great one-two punch. The, the Yair Rodriguez-Josh Nguyen fight for the interim featherweight, featherweight title is a great matchup as well. I do wonder, you know, as I kind of think about both of these fighters, I think about the striking ability that both these guys have. But if you're Josh Emmett, I do wonder how much of that, the mindset heading in this one is about utilizing wrestling. Man, I I think for Josh Emmett, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. The UFC finally looked at their roster and said, Josh Emmett deserves a championship fight. I mean, Josh Emmett had to work his tail off to get in this position. So, He's got to approach this fight as a muscular situation, and his hands are solid. 
but the wrestling base could really be a great equalizer against Jair Rodriguez. So I think he's got to look to implement that to take down win rounds in what could be a 25-minute fight. So, Jason, to answer your question, I think Josh Emmett's going to use his wrestling in this fight, and I think he's going to leave town with the interim championship. I'm thinking the same way you are. I'm kind of liking Josh Emmett here as a little bit of a, a, a slight betting underdog in this one, but... You know, because like the one thing I think you like about Josh Emmett a lot is I feel he's got the power advantage in this one. Um, I think a little bit of a knock on, on Emmett in the past has been about, you know, potentially 25 minutes, but I think he's answered all, all those abilities there. The other, you know, to me, in terms of the rest of this fight card, the two other fights that really stick out to me um, really have to do with the prospects on, on each of these fights. The first one being Jack Dowell, Madalena versus Randy Brown. Jack Della Maddalena is an unbelievable talent. Really interested to see what he can do. The other prospect, uh, the guy, the guy's now been around the UFC for a little bit of while, but it's Jimmy Crude. He's going to open up the main card at, at light heavyweight. That one is interesting to me. So, you know, other ones, uh, you know, Modestus Bukakis, who I've had a chance to interview a couple of times, he's back in the UFC, taking on Tyson Pedro. I don't know how much I really love that matchup there uh, for Modestus Bukakis. Uh, but, uh, you know, overall, to me, it's about those top three fights. Yeah, in particular, Jack Della Maddalena. I mean, he looks like a championship contender in the future. He's one of those top-tier blue-chip names on the UFC roster. That's why he's on this main card. By and large, if you're buying this pay-per-view, it's for the top two fights. It's for the super fight. It's for the interim featherweight championship fight, which shouldn't be for an interim championship, but I digress. The rest of this card kind of sucks. This card, I'm not really excited for but we'll watch all the fights. You know, I'm excited for Zubera to cook off on the, on, the, on the prelims. He's real talented. But by and large, there isn't a lot of fights that I'm super jazzed up about. But that's usually when people create names for themselves and create moments. Yeah, I mean, look, it's I'm looking forward to watching the fights on, on Saturday night, whether I'm sitting on my couch or maybe if I'm, you know, out, out at a, a local sports bar, watch these fights. As I said, my whole reason why I, I'm intrigued to go out to watch these fights is, I just, you know, I people watch. And when I go out for MMA matchups, it's more of, I want to see who do people, who, who are people intrigued to see, you know, is there, what's that? A tattoo of Asa. Is there a new tattoo of Asa that people are going to gravitate towards on this, on this main card, on this prelim card? Will people be doing shoeys? I mean, Tyson Pedro could be a guy that people get intrigued by just because of his fighting style. Yeah, I think that's probably why he's the headliner in that fight. I think you're right. But, so, you know, some sometimes things happen organically. We don't see it coming. And they become a name. Yeah, They become a star. So it is going to be exciting to see. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, a guy like Madalena, you know, not only should he come out there and win, he needs to, like, have a highlight real performance, get people building up his resume, get on the hype train, get excited about the fact that he's going to maybe challenge for a title one day. And it's pretty impressive how many good people from that part of the country are in that weight class when you really look at it. I mean, Pereira, Adin Sanya, Jack Della, that middleweight class is just really good for Australia and New Zealand. If you remember, you know, our last pay-per-view was in Brazil. It had been, um, you know, a couple of years since the UFC had been in Brazil. This is now the first time the UFC has been back to Australia since the pandemic. Three years ago, there's a video up on their YouTube channel that I'm guessing is probably going to be probably a part of the opening video for this car talking about, 
the fact that this is their first fight card there uh, in three years. So uh, looking forward to watching UFC 284 on Saturday night. Of course, if you're looking for a DFS breakdown, myself and Pete will have one over on Fight HQ on Friday live stream, 1 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, something I did want to mention here is... Bellator and drug testing. And I obviously we all know the perception that is out there, but uh, did learn yesterday that uh, so they had the lightweight Grand Prix kickoff press conference last week in L.A. Well, all those guys in attendance, they all got drug tested out of competition. And I'm also hearing expect some news about hearing about more Bellator drug testing coming. So who's handling this drug testing? Mike Mazzulli. Oh, interesting. Why do you think uh, Bellator is doing this? Bellator, for the past couple years, has told Mike Mazzulli he can drug test any fighter anytime he wants. Interesting. That's good. Um, that's good because it's needed, you know. So it's it's basically out of competition. Yes. Yeah, it all goes to wow. the same same type of lab that USADA sends their drug tests, the Smyrtle lab. So, I mean, it's, you know, and there's been a lot of Bellator drug testing. I mean, look, it's nowhere near what's happening in the UFC. So we can't compare the two, but there is, you know, and I think the big thing is, is to me, it's about the out of competition drug testing is happening. I mean, it's great that there's in competition drug testing, but to see that it is happening out of competition. And I know for Rafael Stotts and Danny Sabatello, I want to say they were drug tested three times out of competition uh, for their fight there at the end of last year. Yeah, I mean, that's important because you can easily cycle in and out of competition. You can not have a fight in the books, get on the juice, get that fight camp going and knowing you might get tested and not get tested. I mean, it's kind of like the NBA back in the day. I think they've changed it where they'll only get drug tested like four times. So once players got drug tested that fourth time, they knew they weren't going to get tested again. And it's not like there's a lot of NBA players that are on steroids, but that's just a thing. You know, uh, obviously it's become more randomized and the more randomized, the less likely you're going to have cheating. So it's a good Bellator is taking a step in that direction. Yeah. And of course, Bellator uh, did make some news earlier today, announcing that Michael Page versus Gochi Yamauchi has been added to that March 10th card. Someone had asked me about when Patchy Mix versus Rafael Stotts is going to happen during the post-fight press conference uh, following last Saturday's Bellator card. Scott Coker uh, essentially alluded to an announcement coming. I'm doing, you know, there's been this rumblings that Bellator is going to go back to Hawaii in April. That would seem to make a lot of sense as potentially your main event of that fight car. Wouldn't be surprised if uh, that's a little uh, double header with having that and also having AJ McKee versus Patricky Pipple. We'll see what happens in terms of that one. By the way, uh, we didn't mention about this when the Bellator, when we talk about Bellator. 290 the television rating came out just over a million viewers i got it like when i saw that initially my thought was like that's got to be a disappointing number if you're bellator but on the other side it's a ton more eyeballs than a product that would be on be on the product if it was on showtime yeah exactly on 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 network that's that's a pretty bad rating pretty bad viewership on a on a on a night but glass half full well a lot more people watched your product and uh for one night, Bellator seemed more majorly than it has in a long time. And you know what? They did a damn good job on their broadcast. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, the only thing I would, if I was going to offer any criticism that broadcast, like, I get why you have the, the desk work there, but, like, to me, it just becomes a crutch, that broadcast. Like, 
instead of showing all these prepackaged stuff, which I get why you're doing that, re-show the Lorenz Larkin knockout. Like, there were certain things they could have shown about the fights early on today. Um, some other uh, news items to mention, uh, David Onama, the UFC fighter, UFC 145-pound fighter, he is now training at Factory X, was there at Glory. Of course, we all know what's happened there with James Krause. Uh, also at Factory X now is Vanessa Demopoulos. She had been at Fight Ready. There's a little bit of a, a backstory of why she left Fight Ready, but uh, David Onama at Factory X. And uh, when the UFC came down with that announcement about, you know, basically telling Glory Fighters, hey, if you're going to stay at Glory, you can't be in the UFC. Factory X was one of those teams I'd heard to expect to potentially see some of those Glory Fighters head to. Uh, Kevin Lee is back in the UFC. You know, amazing. He leaves CAA, the rival of Endeavor. Signs with a management agency that some people might consider UFC friendly and magically he's back in the UFC. And then I, so I go, when I see this, I go to Wikipedia and I was like, man, what, let me see what Kevin Lee, like he's like, I think it's like two and five in his last seven fights. I mean, now look, it's all against legitimate competition. He's going to fight at welterweight in the UFC. But when you look at the run that he had been on um, and just kind of pulling up uh, his record here. So he's coming off that win against Diego Sanchez and Eagle FC. But prior to that, so if you go back to uh, October 17, October 7, 2017, loses Tony Ferguson, win against Barboza, lost against Iaquinta, lost against RDA, win against Gegard Gillespie, then lost against uh, Charles Oliveira, lost against Daniel Rodriguez. I just, I had forgot about the, the bad stretch he had been on. Yeah, he really, he really had been on a bad stretch. Um, look, this could go one of two ways, and I wouldn't be surprised either way. It could be like Johnny Walker, where all of a sudden the switch flips and he turns his career around, and it's like hell yeah. Or he could come back to the UFC, lose two fights, and be gone. It could go one way or the other. Before he went on all those losses, he was really impressive. I mean, he started off his UFC run. With, I'm looking at it now. I think like ten and two was how he maybe nine and two, nine and two is how he started off his UFC career. Hell of a start. Fought some really tough guys, lost those fights, but at 30 years of age, it wouldn't be surprising if he makes a turnaround. But it doesn't seem like he earned it. It just seemed like he changed management companies, and that seems kind of illegal. But you know, Endeavor and CA are <laughs> rivals, so. <laughs> These things happen in MMA. Yeah, they do. By the way, uh, John Nash uh, has a podcast up on YouTube, uh, Hey Not The Face. I was listening to it this morning about how the UFC has changed uh, verbiage in their contracts. Shocking. Not very fighter friendly. Yeah. Things are not progressing if you're a fighter. They continue (laughs) to regress. Yeah, 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 it's uh, not good terms. I highly recommend. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes, uh, link to that podcast. But man, that was, uh, yeah, man, not a, um, yeah, not good. Uh, earlier this week, Jorge Maslow made an announcement, Game Bread Boxing 4. And uh, if you're an MMA fan, if, you know, this is an event that I think you might want to check out. We got six round matchups, six round bouts, with the exception of the main event. The main event will be eight rounds. These are all pro fights. They're not exposition fights. So we got Anthony Pettis versus Roy Jones Jr. in the main event. Then we got Vitor Belfort versus Jacare Souza. 
don't think that's going to go well for Jacare. Don't think that's going to go well for Jacare. Then we got Jose Aldo versus Jeremy Stevens. Pearl Gonzalez versus Gina Mazzani. Don't think that's going to go well for Gina Mazzani. Paul Simtex Daly versus Anthony Taylor. That may be the fight that I'm, I'm intrigued. What does Paul Daly look like in a boxing matchup? And then you got a couple other fights on that card. Uh, but when it, when Ore is announcing this fight card, I'm like, damn. I think April 1st, I'm turning the game red boxing four. It, it is a lot of names. Roy Jones Jr., geez, he's 54 years old. I mean, damn. Anthony Pettis better beat him or else it'll be embarrassing. I know Roy was a really good boxer, but he's been washed like for 15 years. Um, but yeah, a lot of names. Aldo on this card, right? Uh, Jacare, via Belfort. I mean, a lot of names. It's on pay per view. All I can think about, though, is can't you guys just relax? Why y'all got to be punching each other in the head still when you're in your 40s, huh? All I can think of is like freaking CTE and stuff. But still, I mean, I'll be I'll be interested. I'll be looking for the gifts. I'll be looking for the tweets. Yeah. So he knew that it's going to be on pay per view on UFC Fight Pass, and so I was just I just pulled up my Fight Pass, and the last event that's on here is March 24th. I'm interested if there's an additional paywall for this one. How much that paywall is? Because like when he started listing off the names, I was like, who is financially backing this thing? This cannot be a cheap car to put together. No, no, these are all names that are commanding a pretty penny. So they're probably begging on the fact that they're going to sell pay-per-views, which I don't think they're going to do, but maybe they'll sell a good house in Milwaukee in Anthony's hometown. Dude, that cannot be cheap. I mean, they're they're, they're running out the same arena that the Milwaukee Bucks play in, so you got to imagine that's uh, that can't be cheap, but you know, a ton of uh, name value. But uh, if there is an additional paywall on Fight Pass, I'm interested to see what that is now. Uh, that also will be April 1st is also the season debut of the PFL and Anthony Pettis will not be part of the lightweight season this year. So he'll just be a part of the super fights. I would imagine just- so. Hmm. I, 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 it is going to be very, like I saw that Pacheco is going to be in the season, which I was like, hold on. Why are we not doing Pacheco Harrison? Like, yeah. do, do they not know? how the MMA gods work in this industry. Yeah. You can't test your luck. You got to do it right away. That should be the first fight to open the season. The rematch of the rematch of the rematch. The, uh, the fourth fight in their, in their series. I'm just interested of what does the next pay-per-view card look like for the PFL? And will it be a lineup that makes you go, you know what? I'm going to buy that thing. I think it will. I think it's probably going to involve Jake Paul, if I had to guess. Well, they were talking Jake Paul not fighting MMA till 2024. Well, then that completely takes away my point. So you got so, so Paul's got the he's got the fight on February 26th. I want to say it is against um Fury Tommy Fury. Fury. Yeah. Which I know they did. So I saw it on Twitter earlier today. They did a, a press conference where uh, over in Saudi Arabia, because that's, this is where this fight's taking place, is and the fact of Tommy Fury wasn't even at this press conference. Which I'm like, well, that doesn't sound very promising. No, not at all. I feel like if there's one fight that should have both guys there, it should be the one that's been canceled three times already. 
I did get a, because I'm on the press uh, distribution list for Paul Promotions. So I got the, uh, you know, the email about credential requests. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to Saudi Arabia. I'm good. Yeah, it's a country that doesn't have a great history with them. You know, media. And look there, I thought the other interesting part about it was the fact of that it's on ESPN plus pay-per-view, not Showtime, which is, I think is interesting. Tells me Showtime's out of the Jake Paul business. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, but again, I think uh, Jake Paul, Jake Paul sells pay-per-views. I mean, a lot of people are going to buy that. Even if he doesn't fight Tommy Fury, even if he fights another washed MA guy, <laughs> you know. Speaking of Jake Paul, when I was on, um, I was scrolling through TikTok yesterday, and there was this video where I don't know if it's recent or not, and it's Jake Paul. I guess he was on on Tyson's podcast, Mike Tyson's podcast, and he's talking about and Jake Paul is talking about Conor McGregor, da, da 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 da, and Mike Tyson goes, "You do know he's not scared of you, right?" It was like, oh shit! Wow. <laughs> yeah, Mike's like, where I'm from, we just fight. You know, you put my name in your mouth, your mouth could get wired shut. Yeah, I also it, it's going to be, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see how this Logan Paul thing with Prime plays out with UFC because uh, that's going to be interesting because uh, I saw Kevin Holland had a tweet. That basically goes, yeah, Prime's already out here lowballing UFC fighters. That's the business. Screw over the fighters, get the profits. You know? Yeah. The um it really makes Jake Paul being an advocate for fighters look weak when his brother is in bed with the UFC lowballing fighters. It's yeah, not you a know, good look. You know, when you talk about the whole thing of Jake Paul trying to be an advocate for fighters. The one thing I'm really intrigued to see is does Jake Paul show public support for the extension of the Ali act to mixed martial arts? Because I feel like if we are going to see the Ali act expanded to mixed martial arts right now, politically may be the best potential opportunity for that because under the previous administration, I don't think there was a chance of hell that was ever going to get signed off by the president. But with now the, the, the change in, in, in president, I feel like if we are ever going to see it right now, may be that best opportunity. Yeah. Especially because, um, you know, who knows if we'll have the same party in that power, um, two years from now, we could, we also could not. It's. I think if you look at the uh, the Vegas odds, I would be interested to see what the Vegas odds are on that. But I'm sure it's it's close to even or maybe it favors. That's how we look at. That's how we look at life. That's how we look at politics. What's the betting line? What's the DraftKings on the presidency? There, but uh, I, yeah, I would be shocked if there is not some betting line out there on that. I I, I would I'm absolutely sure. be shocked. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, and you could probably get specific. I'm sure you could probably take money at Kanye West at plus nine thousand. I, I feel like that DraftKings sportsbook may not have a line on that, but maybe I'm wrong. No, no, but probably yeah, probably not DraftKings, but that that line exists somewhere. Dude, you know? I saw. I want to say it was Jedi Goodman had this post up about 
how much money has been wagered via legal sports books in the United States. It's it's was like 88 billion in 2022 and like 2021, I think it was like 50 or 60 billion. Jeez, that's, I mean, it explains why we see so many freaking ads all the time. Yeah, I'm looking right. over at DraftKings Sportsbook. It's it's only sports ads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got. But you go, can, okay, uh, you could actually bet on darts if you wanted to. Which you know, hold on, you can bet on cornhole. Wow, you are a degenerate if you are out here betting on cornhole. So you've got the ACL Pro Shootout number one. This is on Saturday, nine a.m. Jamie Graham is minus 155. Kyle Malone is plus 125. I like Kyle Malone in that. You should lay down some uh, some of your corn on that so you have something to be invested in. That uh, Yeah, I wonder if there's a cornhole podcast out there that's previewing that big matchup. Gu- guarantee you there's one. Uh, so, I mean, while like, well, I got DraftKings Sportsbook up here, I'll just pull up some. So, right now, at DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, Islam Mahachev, minus 380, plus 310 for Alexander Volkanovsky. Yep, I would uh, I would put some money down on Volkanovsky. I think he's getting that upset this Saturday. I don't know if it's going to be by decision or finish. I think probably decision. Yeah, I'm going to go Volk by decision. There's even odds on the PFL Challenger Series. I saw them. Well, I guess they'll make sure those fights are live <laughs> and not taped. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Too soon? Too soon. <laughs> yeah, we never really got an update on that story. That story just magically disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. That was That's a crazy story. I would be, really look, I would be shocked if there were not people in that building that place wagers. I mean, yeah, if you're if you're if you were somewhere and you saw that fight happen and you are also a gambler and you saw you could still put money on something that has already happened that you saw. I mean, you don't have to be James Krause to want to do that, you know? By the way, you know, we talk about uh lack of promotion, UFC two eighty four. I'll give you another lack of promotion. It wasn't till today when I go on to ESPN's MMA schedule that made me realize John Lineker fights on Amazon Prime this week. I didn't know that till this second. <laughs> exactly. Who's he, fight, who's he fighting? Uh, it's a rematch uh, against... Um, here's a brain fart of me trying to remember what... Um, it's it's uh, the rematch from earlier in the year, or last year. Okay, well... If I have some free time, I'll give one to see some some love this week. Yeah, that's on a Friday night um, against Andraj. The rematch there, eight p.m. Eastern time from Indonesia. Yeah, if uh, if I have some free time, I'll, I'll check out that card. They do a good broadcast. Um, I know the guy who was in charge of their broadcast. He got hired by AEW, but uh, you know, I don't even see this on the uh, Tapology schedule. It's on the ESPN MMA schedule. That's really weird that it's not on Tapology. That's so weird that it's on ESPN and maybe not Tapology because like Tapology is, you know. It is interesting that it's not on Tapology. Because yeah, Tapology usually always has one FC cards on there. Um, Oh no, maybe this has been moved. 
Tapology has a fight on February 24th. Did, did no. Now, here's the question. Did I did ESPN Did they screw my my timeline up here? Well, no, because well, the poster says February 10th. It's only one way, one thing to do. Let's go to amazonprime.com. Well, I'm over on the and, one championship website. And the one championship website says it's February 25th or 24th, 24th here in the States. They have a one Friday, one Friday fights four on Friday. But the the poster on Tapology does say Friday, February 10th. So I think originally, if I had to guess based on context clues, this was originally supposed to be on February 10th. Damn you ESPN make, damn you ESPN make me look stupid. It's all right, man. That's why you got it. It's one of the rare times where I use topology and you did it. <laughs> you usually go to Wikipedia, which well, I do. I do. Wikipedia, yeah. you're, you're just you're you're taking a chance. You are, but I love living life dangerously. Oh, by the way, um, another note to mention: Lorenz Larkin has signed a new contract with Bellator. That that news came out yesterday. Good, good sighted. He he looked freaking awesome this last weekend. Dude, I mean the faceplant KO. Oof! Like if you're Lorenz Larkin. How how did how do you not blow up that picture and like put it in your house in the gym like like do you make a oh, t shirt yeah. be like you go out to a club say don't f with me bro this will happen to you I know I'm putting you out like that yeah it's uh it's it's you know it's beautiful knockouts can be absolutely beautiful and Lorenz Larkin that was that was a that was a that was a piece of beauty I do kind of want to get that picture of the, the all those legends and put that up in the office. Yeah. It's yeah. End of an era. I, I like, it is. And you know, there were some fighters missing. Like Tito and you know, uh, was Vanderlei there? No. Uh, okay, Van, Vanderlei and uh let's see who else. Hoyes, Tito, BJ Penn, you know, I guess yeah. GSP and Anderson. Oh, they were kind of the next generation, but also the previous generation. Yeah, there was an A's missing, but it was a it was a phenomenal moment. It really was. I loved it. I would still say this. I really wish someone would ask Scott Coker when they were talking about Fedor being the greatest heavyweight of all time. And look, I have no problem if you, you say he is. But I would love to know, like, for someone like from Scott's perspective, is it do you would you need it to be longevity? for someone to replace Fedor as the heavyweight goat. I'm, I'm more in that it's about what's that resume look more than longevity. And it's kind of, it goes into that whole Chris cyborg or man Nunez topic of conversation. Yeah. But the thing is uh, in that longevity, Fedor had a lot of high quality wins. He had some wins that were suspect, but I would say about 10 high quality wins Two over Coleman, the Nagara win, the Crow Cup win, those are those are those are baller victories. Like those are like in the heavyweight division at the time, it, it's pretty hard to match up with that when you think about that context. And, and time is lost, but Crow Cup versus Fedor, that was number one, number two in that weight class going toe to toe. Yeah, the, I mean, it's just it's we, we talked about with Shogun being end of an era and and truly end of era uh, with Fedor and. You know, there, there's these times where, like, and you, you see it on that. 
I've seen in person, but you see it then again, that, that television broadcast of, you know, when you see how people react to Fedor, it makes you realize, you know, how, how much you're around greatness. Like I was having this conversation with somebody over the weekend and we were, we were talking about Tom Brady and, you know, me being around Brady for the past couple of years here in Tampa. And I said, I go, there's one moment when it, it made me realize how much of a rock star Tom Brady is. We're in the Munich airport coming back to Tampa after uh, we played our game in Germany. And there's, and so there's like, you know, it was like two, three stories high and there's, there's, there's someone looking down and they're literally crying because they see Tom Brady. And it was like that moment of like, guy's a rock star guy's a rock star and, and but i saw similar things like that of of being at bellator events when fader would show up and you just would see the way people reacted to him it just made you realize like this guy's a living legend and he's a rock star yeah he's a mythical figure the definition of a legend in fact i would say even more than a legend he was an icon for his generation and uh I do believe he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. I also believe we will have a better heavyweight in the future that will overtake his throne. I think, excuse me, Stipe came really close. But when I look at the two resumes, I think Stipe needs more quality wins, to be honest with you. And I would still put Fedor over Stipe. But Fedor was the GOAT. He was the first GOAT for me. If John Jones fights eight times a heavyweight, goes undefeated in those eight times... That may be the best case to say he passes Fedor as the greatest heavyweight of all time. Yeah, and honestly, he could probably do it in five. If he did, if he did five. Because Jones is already probably the greatest fighter of all time. Yeah, I would say he is the greatest fighter of all time. Um, obviously, he has some issues. That, like PED issues. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I would say Jones is probably the greatest fighter I've ever seen in my life. So, That's yeah, I think five. Go ahead. That's always going to be the the asterisk next to John Jones is it's more of that unknown question. We know the issues that are there with USADA. Everyone's always going to have those. You can't you can't help but have those questions. Yeah, yeah. I think I think GSP is the fighter who's the goat without questions for me. Yeah, I mean, and him and Habib are the rare exceptions of, of fighters who've been able to go out of this sport on their own terms, and they're not looking up at the lights. I mean, it's just it, it's it's a rare exception there. But uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, new episodes come out twice a week. Be sure to check out our sponsor, Harry's, and that great offer they have for the MMA Report Podcast listeners. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. We can check out on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com. 